So let's get in. You know, we're in Daniel. Uh, we call it Bold in Babylon. And remember, Babylon was this ancient city uh, that had a real king, but it was also a symbolic city. It, it is a symbolic city of every kingdom that opposes God and his people. We live in Babylon today. We're challenging you through the book of Daniel to be bold in Babylon. And so last week we looked at chapter 7. And in chapter 7, Daniel has this dream, this vision where he sees how God's people are going to suffer and be attacked, not just then, but throughout all of eternity until Jesus returns and, uh, and, and how it's all gonna shake down in the end. That's Daniel 7. Daniel chapter eight is another dream. It's two years later. Daniel now has, two years after that dream, he has another dream. And at verse 27 of Daniel that we didn't read, that you could go there and read if you want, in verse 27, it says that after he had this dream, he remained sick for several days, and he lay sick. Man, I mean, there are just some things when you hear about them or when you see them, they just turn your stomach, make you sick, right? And I mean, sort of like when I watch the Titans or, or the, the, the uh, you know, the Vols play, they just turn your stomach. Well, that, that's, that's exactly, uh, you know, uh, what Daniel was feeling here, and he, 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 he was sick. And, and when we look at these two dreams, they seem similar. They both have empires that are attacking God's people. They're considered beasts. They, they, you know, they both have this little horn that rises up. And so they seem similar, but they're really not in, in, in a sense. And we're going to talk about that. And, and so in chapter 7, he sees this vision of these beasts, these uh, empires that attack uh, uh, God's people uh, in his specific day. And as I said, all through history. And the little horn who attacks and, and, and comes in, which is the Antichrist figures, which was Nebuchadnezzar in his day, but also Darius and Nero and Hitler and Stalin and Putin and Iran and Iraq and, uh, you know, uh, the Hamas and all these people today, right? They are uh, uh, the little horn. And so that's seven, eight. He comes in and, 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 and he talks about these beasts that we're going to talk about, but it's not it doesn't go into today, it's to a specific time in history. And that time in history would be a little over 300 years from when he had this dream, right? And, and, and it would be when, if you'll remember, when God's people leaves captivity, the book of Nehemiah talks about how Nehemiah goes back, rebuilds the wall, they rebuild the temple then and, 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 and everything. And then, uh, and then it comes in and it's desecrated again. And it's that time that Daniel's dream in chapter 8 is looking to, and it comes true with such accuracy that scholars who are not believers say there's no way this was predicted or prophesied 300 years before because it is spot on with every detail. Now, we know that God is spot on because God doesn't just know what's going to happen. God wrote what's going to happen. God is sovereign and in 100% control of everything that happens in the world and in the universe, right? And so we know that. And so, so what we're going to do is we're going to break this dream down, this vision, and tell you what it means. What, is, what in the world is the ram? What's the goat? What's a horn? Uh, what, what, what do all these horns mean? What is all this stuff, right? Because we read it and it's like, wow. So we're going to talk about it, break it down, and then uh, we're going to list several applications for our life and our church. What does this mean to us today? Because God's word is absolute. It's always true. It's always right. It's good for all people, all places, all time. So this is not just something that was good for the people Daniel was writing to. It, it's, it's good, or, or as it was written down, it's good for us today. What does it mean for our life and church? So first off, let's look at what this dream means, this, 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 this vision and this dream means. Let, let's look at that. So Daniel, in his dream, he sees this ram. 
This ram has two horns, right? Now, rams are ferocious beasts. I mean, they, they, they are ferocious. They, they're, they're known as, as uh, that's why the L.A. Rams, you know, you don't see the L.A. kitties. I mean, you see the L.A. Rams. I mean, because you, you want a, like a titan, right? A raider, a ram, a bear, right? I mean, a patriot. You want somebody that's going to, I mean, mop up and take names, right? Destroy when you name a football team. Well, that's why they're the rams because rams are this ferocious animal. If a ram charges you and hits you, you're taking a dirt nap. I mean, that, this is where we get the term battering ram because they, they come with this ferocious hit. Now, a ram was a well-known symbol for the Persian kingdom in the day. And when the king would lead his troops into battle from Persia, he would wear a helmet that looks like a ram's head, okay? And so, so, so what, we're, what, we're, what we're seeing here is that this ram, he comes up, he's got two horns, and, and one gets longer, and then it says that he begins to attack, and he begins to just dominate from north, south, and west. In other words, he's going about, and, he, and he's, he's dominating the beast. He's, he's knocking down kingdoms, and he's, he's conquering. And, and, and then, when Daniel sees this, he becomes great. But as he's becoming great, this goat comes in, a goat from, from, from the, uh, he comes in, it's like, he, he says he comes in and his feet's not even touching the ground. He, it, mean, it's a, it's, it means, it's imagery that he's coming fast. Now, goats and rams are two different animals, right? I mean, rams are ferocious. You, you see a ram and you're like, man, I'm getting out of the way. I'm getting behind something. I'm not getting near this ram. You see a goat, goats are cute. Goats are docile, right? I mean, goats are, you know, they're, I mean, people do yoga with goats. You do goat yoga, right? I mean, you don't do ram yoga unless maybe you're Chuck Norris, right? I mean, then you do ram. But you, you don't do ram yoga. You do goat yoga. But this goat, this goat was a different goat. I mean, this goat comes in, and, and man, he's got a horn right between his eyes, right? And this horn, and he, and he stares down the ram, and, and he attacks the ram, and in one hit, TKOs the ram, tramples him, destroys the ram, and then just dominates, Right, and so, so, so we're looking at this, and you're like, uh, uh, "Who is this?" Because the goat now is dominating, but it says that his horn was broken, and then there were four horns that took his place and are done. So, what is this dream all about? You got ram and goat and horns. So, remember the beasts here. It's apocalyptic literature. The beasts are talking about kingdoms are are are, are you know uh, country kingdoms and the horns in the bible refer to military power uh, and and so you've got the ram who was a well-known symbol of persia and Persia and their king with his, his, as he led them into battle, wore this ram's helmet, helmet looked like a ram's head. And, and then, so he's got this ram with two horns, but what happened in about 551 BC, if you know your history, this is for you history buffs, I'm a history, I love history. In about 551 BC under King Cyrus, Persia decides to attack this kingdom called Media. Now Media was more powerful, it was bigger, but Persia decided to attack it. They attacked it and they conquered it. And those two became one. This merger became known as the Medo-Persian Empire. Maybe you've heard of it in history as the Medo-Persian Empire. Now, this was the empire, if you go back to Nebuchadnezzar's dream, 
when Nebuchadnezzar had this dream and he saw this statue of these different materials, bronze and gold and clay and iron, and it goes down. This, this is the Medo-Persian empire is what Daniel predicted would come in and knock out Babylon and destroy Babylon. And this dream here, this way he's seen. He's seen this Medo-Persian. The Persians attacked the media. Uh, they, the media, they, they conquered them. They become Medo-Persia. But then the Persian faction becomes much stronger than the media uh, than the media faction, and that's why one horn grew longer. They're equal, and then they grow longer. One one grows longer. It's the Persian faction, and it's dominating, and it dominated the world in the day. It, just as Daniel said, you had the Persians and the Meadow Persians, the ram with the two horns, and they dominate the world until the goat comes on the scene. And who's the goat? What's the goat? The goat was the Greeks. The goat's where Matt's from, right? The goat's the Greeks. It, 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 you know, it's, it's no surprise, I guess, when I go to the Focos house in Brussels, I always go, and as I said, it's the big fat Greek wedding. I think this is fitting. It's great because when I go there, his dad, I mean, they are, you gotta love, I love them. They are dear friends of mine. And I go there and I look out in the backyard and they always throw a party and there's a goat roasting on a spit. I mean, it's just roasting, a whole goat. And I'm like, man, I can't even eat the goat because it's red meat, but it's beautiful, right? And so, so you got this goat roasting, but that's the Greeks. The Greeks were the goat, and, and, and we know that they were the world power. They come in and dominated the Medo Persians, and at just as Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And the horn was Alexander the Great. You remember the, 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 the famous leader, Alexander the Great? He, came, he comes in and his dad was murdered. His dad was the leader, king. His dad was murdered when he was 20. And Alexander, by the time he was 22, he took over control. And he headed out of Greece when he was 22 years old with 30,000 foot soldiers and 5,000 horsemen, 35,000 troops. That's why they were known to go quickly. They could move for, for in that day with that many people very quickly. And so he, he moved out and he dominated the world. He, he knocked the Middle Persians out, he killed the ram, and then he began to dominate the world. He, he dominated oh, um, 1.5 million square miles. I mean, he dominated all the way to India. He was in so, such, uh, uh, had such power. And he also, when Alexander the Great conquered nations, he made them speak the Greek language. He made them change languages. He made them adapt Greek lifestyle, Greek culture. He, he completely uh, uh, made them Greek. Right, and so, so, and that's that's what he did, and so he's dominating. He's ruling the whole world, and that lasted all of uh, just a few years. Didn't last long because he died at the ripe old age of 32. And so, when he died, then you had four horns. It says that rose up to take his place. Now, what, what's it talking about? Well, when he died, there's this jockeying battle for position. It's a dictator. It's not a democracy. And so, you know what happens when a dictator dictator uh, dies or is taken out of office. I mean, there's this jockeying. Who's going to be the next dictator? Sometimes it's a coup, right, that, that, that figures out who's going to do this. So when he died, there, were, there was this jockeying for position, and eventually, and what I'm trying to do is condense this. I could tell you a whole lot more around. That there was this jockeying, and, and, and there were four of his generals that were, the kingdom was divided up and given to four of his generals. Now, one of those, uh, the, the Seleucids, one of those was basically the area of Syria, and one of them is basically the area of Egypt. Now, Syria and Egypt, lying right between them is Israel, is Judah in the time. They were right between these two, and the power struggle that between these two, they were always caught in the middle until one horn 
turns and he's attacking the south and the west and it says that he attacks the glorious land in the vision. Now, what's the glorious land? The glorious land is Israel, right? The glorious land was the people of God. It was, it was Israel. And so, so he turns and he attacks uh, uh, the, the glorious land. And, and although we, we know in chapter seven, as I said, the seven and eight, the dreams are similar, they both have this little horn. The little horn in chapter seven represents, yes, Nebuchadnezzar and Darius and all through Hitler and, and, and Iraq and Iran and Hamas and people. But in eight, that little horn in eight is one person and, 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 and biblical theologians and Bible scholars identify that one person uh, to be a guy uh, by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes. Antiochus Epiphanes. Uh, Epiphanes was this man after Israel had come back, rebuilt the wall from Nehemiah, rebuilt the temple, uh, all that, and, and, and these four uh, kings from Alexander, generals from Alexander, was he rises to be the most powerful. He rises up and he attacks Israel. And when he attacks Israel, he was a wicked, wicked, wicked man. He was so evil, he was so wicked that he literally makes Man, he makes Mr. Rogers and Pee Wee Herman, uh, I mean, he, he makes Saddam Hussein and, and, and Osama bin Laden look like Mr. Rogers and Pee Wee Herman at a play date. I mean, that's how wicked this guy was. I mean, he was a murdering, he literally, his name was Antiochus, but he, he, he named himself Epiphanes. Epiphanes means God incarnate. He had his image printed on coins, Epiphanes, he had his image printed there, and Epiphanes means God incarnate. He was claiming to be God. He thought he was better than God. He thought he was more important than God. He thought he was stronger than God. So here's this evil guy who thinks he's God. He comes in, and he attacks Israel. And when he did, man, it was bad. Verses 10 through 12 tell us the havoc that he wreaked on Israel. It says that he comes in, and he displaces the high priest, and sets up his own uh, unbelieving dude, obviously. Uh, he outlaws Judaism. It's illegal to be a Jew. It's illegal to be circumcised. He starts taking away all the distinctives of being a Jew. Uh, he makes them speak the Greek language. He, he, uh, he makes them uh, speak his language and, and live his lifestyle. He, he actually uh, begins to desecrate the temple by offering uh, and taking away this, he takes away the sacrificial system and offers a pig on the altar. And if you know anything about Judaism, how, how, how absolutely desecrating that was. So he offered a pig on the altar of burnt offerings where they sacrificed, uh, they, they did daily sacrifices. They did human sacrifices on the altar. He erected a, uh, a statue of Zeus in the temple and he, he burned the scriptures, the scrolls, and he slaughtered thousands and thousands of women and children. I mean, this guy was evil. It's no wonder. It was a bad, bad time for God's people. It's no wonder that as Daniel saw this, you're beginning now to see why Daniel saw what was going to happen to God's people, and he got sick to his stomach, and it said he lay sick for days. You're beginning to see that this, this devastation, it was just a terrible time for God's people. But uh, God made clear that it, would, it wouldn't last forever. It would only last, he said, for 2,300 mornings and evenings. 2,300 mornings and evenings. Now, most scholars believe that this refers to the morning and evening sacrifices. So that's two a day, morning and evening, So which would make this 2,300 mornings and evenings a little over three years, which was the exact amount of time that Epiphanes controlled 
Jerusalem controlled Israel before a guy by the name of Judas Maccabeus. Now, if you might remember the Maccabean Revolt or the Maccabean Wars from your history, a guy named Judas Maccabeus, I love this, man. He had a nickname even in that day. His name was The Hammer. That was his WWE name, right? He was The Hammer because he come off the top rope on Epiphanies. I mean, it shouldn't have happened. He shouldn't have been able to, to defeat Epiphanies, but he led a revolt and he actually succeeded and he took back the temple and he reinstituted the sacrificial system and he knocked down the statue of Zeus and, and it's called the Maccabean Revolt or the Maccabean Wars, right? And so just Judas Maccabeus comes in and does this. And today, that's what the Jews celebrate when they celebrate Hanukkah. Hanukkah means dedication or rededication and the Jews are celebrating Hanukkah. If you've got any Jewish friends or when you see Hanukkah on your calendar, it's the Jewish celebration of remembrance when they remember how Judas Maccabees and the Maccabean revolt comes in and takes back the temple and rededicates the, the sacrificial system and, and, and the ways of God. That's what Hanukkah is all about. So that is the historical perspective of what Daniel, and here's the cool thing. Daniel predicted this over 300 years before it would happen. And it happened, everything exactly like Daniel predicted, like, like, or not predicted, he prophesied. Because why? Because God gave it to him and God wrote it, okay? History is his story. He doesn't just know what's gonna happen, he controls what's going to happen, okay? That's why it's predicted with such, prophesied with such accuracy. So that's the historical narrative. Uh, that's what Daniel's vision is all about. We see it played out in history. What in the world does this mean to the church today? What's it mean for our church? What's it mean for you today? What does it mean? What does this, 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 this uh, vision mean for us? It's God's word. It's always true. It's always right. It's always good. All people, all places, all time. So it's not just good for Daniel and, his, uh, and the, the 300 years from him and, and, and the people that would... Uh, uh, God's people that would, that would see this, it's good for us today. What is it? Well, let me, I, I wrote down four, I could have written down a lot, but I wrote down four quick application points that I'm gonna hit here in about 10 minutes, okay? So one, the wicked never win. The wicked never win. That's, that's what we get because it's easy for us to look at the wicked, the evil, and think, man, they always get what they want, it seems, right? I mean, they always prosper. Man, they're, they're the, they always rise to positions of power, they drive right around in, in, in nice cars and live in nice homes and they eat whatever they want to eat and people do this for them. And it's easy for us to look out at the wicked, the evil, and say, man, the people that follow the Lord, I mean, they, they follow the Lord, it's like, wow, we follow the Lord. And, 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 and look at what they do. They're evil. They're wicked. It seems like the wicked always win. You know, in the words of, of the, the, you know, the famous theologian, Billy Joel, you know, he, he wrote, only the good die young, right? That's what we think sometimes, right? We think that, and, and, and here's the thing, it's because we think from our perspective, and we have a wrong perspective about what winning is, really, because we look at and we think, man, they get what they want, they, they eat what they want, they go where they want, they live where they want, they drive what they want, and that's winning. Biblically, our perspective is skewed, and when our perspective is skewed, we have the wrong ideas about what winning really is. Okay, and so, so, so we look at them, we think, man, they're winning, and that's what Billy Joel wrote. That's what the psalmist said this as well. The psalmist in the scripture, they decried, man, it seems like the, the evil always win. Asaph, Asaph was one of the uh, psalmists and he wrote uh, Psalm 73. He was decrying and talking about how the evil seemed to always win. And here's what he wrote in seven, 73, 17, 18. As he thought, man, evil wins. He said, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. 
Truly you set them into slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. See, God revealed to him the evil don't win. Evil, your perspective is wrong. Think about this. It seemed that evil was winning when Jesus was arrested, mercilessly tortured, beaten, and nailed to a cross and died. It sure seemed like evil was winning then. From the perspective of the disciples who followed him for three years, it looked like the evil had won. From his own mother, you remember his mother was at the his mother was at the site of the crucifixion. She was there. Remember, he looked at John and said, "Behold your mom. uh, Behold your son." He's saying, "Man, take care of her." He knows it's not because I'm dying. You know, it's not famous dying words, and I'm gone. You know, he knows I'm coming back, but I'm going to be in heaven. Take care of her, and so she's there, and she gave birth to Jesus. But here's the thing: she knew. She had never had sex with a man. He was born of a virgin. I mean, man, think about this. This is God stuff. This is miraculous. She knew who he was. But I even I think even at the cross, she 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 thought evil has won. Evil has won. It's killed my son. Evil has won. This was God. It, evil has won. It appeared so, but oh, it wasn't true. You see, the evil that was done to Jesus on the cross. It wasn't God sitting in heaven going, oh, no, I sent my son and they're killing him. Oh, no, what, what's going on? Oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. That's not, that's not God's reaction like we would do. It was God's plan from the beginning. It was God's plan. He ordained it from the beginning. Remember, Peter preached in Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches, and what does he tell the people? You killed him. You put him on the cross, but you only did what God ordained from the beginning of the world. You didn't do anything God didn't allow you to do but you need to repent from what you did. You're responsible when God's sovereign. You see, here's the thing. God in that was not, not trying to figure out what to do. It was God's plan. He's sovereign over every event. Think about it. It seemed like evil was winning when Paul was, man, beaten and left for dead like roadkill on the side of the road. And he gets up and walks back in town and keeps preaching, right? It was evil when, we thought evil was winning when Paul was put in prison for preaching the gospel. He's put in prison. People, believers are hiding now because, man, they're coming. They're arresting us. They're hiding. and what, It looked like evil was winning. But remember, who wrote the story? It was God's plan from the beginning because it was in prison that Paul would share the gospel with guards who would become saved, and it would embolden the Christians to live lives boldly in Babylon. Folks, here's what you need to know. Today, we can look around, and it's very easy in Babylon to think evil's winning. World's lost its mind. Morals are, man, crazy. We're worried about our kids. We're worried about our grandkids. And it seems like there's no turning back. There's no way, and it's going, uh, evil's winning. It looks like, let me tell you what's going on in our world. What's going on in our world, yes, it it, it has lost its mind. It's crazy. Uh, and we need to live our biblical convictions, but there is not one thing going on in our world that God is not in control of. There's not one thing that's not allowed by God to happen in our world. There is not one atom in the universe that's going rogue. There's not one cell in your body that's going rogue without God's hand. Nothing. Think about that. If, if I thought for one moment that a cell in my body, cells go rogue, right? But not out of God's control. God's not responding to the health issues and going, oh man, he's sick. I didn't know she was sick. I, I, you know, there's nothing that goes rogue in your body without God's plan. That's one of the things that's got me through the last year. One of the things that's got me through the last year is I can look back at, at the, the, the day Amy died and I can what if, and I don't believe me, I have. 
But I can what if all I want. What if I was there? What if this happened? Here's the thing. It's God's plan. I don't understand it. I don't. I can never understand it. Because to me, it's like, man, it would have been a lot better for me if she would have been here. Man, it would have made my life so much better if she would have been here. I think, man, we could have done so much more together, you know, as, as a married couple, as God had given us, the two become one, you know, as, as, as two are better than one because they get a greater return for their money. Man, we could have got a much greater return for our investment, I think. It doesn't make sense. But here's what I know. It was God's plan from the beginning. It's what God ordained from the, it didn't, it wasn't happenstance. Whatever happens in your life, you have to understand God is not scratching his head at what to do. Whatever's happening in our world, he's in control of it. We, we, we don't know why planes fly into buildings. We don't know why Hamas bombs Israel. Man, we don't know why inflation is out of the, out, out, just off the ch- chain. We don't know any of those things. And we look at them and we think, oh, they're terrible, they're terrible. And, and, and we do feel terrible, but here's what I can promise you. God is in control of all of it. There's not one thing out of his control, and he's using it to bring glory to himself, just like the, the, when, 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 we, when we thought evil, when the people thought evil was winning when Jesus was nailed to the cross, but God was using that to bring salvation to those who would believe in Jesus. Listen, folks, evil never win. The wicked never win. So today, when you see evil leaders advancing their agenda, man, when sickness, marriage issues, children issues, Man, don't fret, remain faithful, understanding that God's in control. God's got this, it's in his plan. I don't know why, I can't see it because his mind is not my mind, but I trust him. Second, the strategy is still the same, the strategy of the enemy. Notice what, what happened here. First, Epiphanes goes into uh, uh, to Israel, what's he do? He takes away the sacrificial system. The sacrifices were taken away. Now, the sacrificial system was established early. If you'll remember back in the Pentateuch, the sacrificial system was established. Why? To take away their sins? No. Animals, the sacrifice of animals couldn't take away a single sin. But what happened was it was a reminder that the price for sin is death and something has to die because of your sin. It's a reminder of the seriousness of sin. And all those animals foreshadowed, they pointed toward a greater sacrifice, the true sacrifice. And so they did these sacrifices, morning sacrifices, evening sacrifices, and to remind themselves of the seriousness of, and the severity of sin. Now Epiphanes comes in and he takes it away. What do you think happens? All of a sudden, when you don't sacrifice, you, you, you begin to drift. You begin to not take your sin as serious. You begin to not focus on how se- severe and serious our sin is. And so you just begin to drift, Right? And, 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 and that's exactly what Epiphanes was doing. He was taking away uh, their, their, their reminder of the seriousness of, of their sin. And, and, and man, the strategy is still the same today. We no longer perform daily sacrifices. Jesus' sacrifice was once for all, right? We no longer thank God have to kill animals. And thank, I mean, I thank the Lord, I don't have to, you know, go in and kill animals and it's a bloody affair and it was bloody, Right? Because it was a reminder. And, and, and I think we don't have to do that. I'm thankful we don't have to do that. Why do we not have to do that? Because Jesus was the sacrifice once and for all. Took away all the sin of those who believe in him. So we don't have to do that. But the strategy today is to get us to forget the sacrifice. To, to get us to drift from the sacrifice. That's why we do communion. That's one of the things we do at communion. He, he set up this, sacri- uh, this, I'm sorry, this communion so that when we do it, we would remember 
But it's not just in communion. We need to remember the sacrifice for our sin because if not, here's what we begin to do. We begin to drift into, oh man, I'm not good enough. I I, I committed this sin. God is angry with me. God doesn't like me. God can't use me. All these things. Why? Because we've drifted from the remembering how important the sacrifice was. And when Jesus was sacrificed, he took away all the sin of those who believe in him so that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And that is including the sin you commit today and tomorrow. And so we can, if we forget that, we can begin to live in the misery of guilt because we believe we're sinners and God cannot use us. And that's, that's one of the strategies of the enemy today is to sideline you with guilt and misery, make you forget what his sacrifice actually accomplished. It's also to get you to forget that your life is a daily sacrifice. That's what the life of a Christian is. That's what the life of a Christian, that's why Jesus said in Matthew, he who comes after me must take up his cross daily and follow me. You can't come after me unless you take up your cross daily. He's talking about when people saw a cross on somebody's back walking through the city, they know they're dead man. They are dead, right? In other words, what Jesus is saying is you sacrifice your life. So here's what he's saying. Becoming a follower of Jesus Christ is not what the world and and most people in America think today when they think of a Christian. It's not identifying with Jesus and putting a cross tattoo on your arm and wearing a cross chain. That's not what it means to, 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 to be a Christian. Being a Christian means I'm laying down my life and I'm submitting to his. That's what it means. It means I'm laying down, but see, the enemy causes us to forget that and makes us believe like, man, all I gotta do is add Jesus. And I think Jesus is cool. Jesus is great. And Jesus is just, oh, he, Jesus is my homeboy. You know, you seen those shirts, Jesus is my homeboy. Man, if you got one of those shirts, don't wear that. Right? I mean, that just so minimizes what, who Jesus is. He's not your homeboy. He's your king. He's your savior. He can stomp you if he wants to. That's not what your homeboy does, right? But he loves you enough not to. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? I mean, so Jesus here, it causes us to forget. It causes us to, 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 to forget that our life should be, should be lived for his glory, not just added to our life, but should become the center of our life, right? He, he wants us to, to, to forget that. Second, uh, Antiochus comes in and he desecrated the temple, right? Remember, the temple in their day was where uh, they went to meet with God. Jesus had not yet died, so their sin had not yet been atoned for, so the Holy Spirit didn't live within them. Uh, the temple was where they went to meet with God. He desecrated that. Well, today we don't have a temple. What do we have? We have the church. That's the New Testament, it's the church. So what's the church? This building? No, this building is not the church. The people who give their life to Jesus is the church. Because why? That's where the Holy Spirit invades and lives. We're the church. The building's the building where the church meets. The building's the building where the church assembles. In the Old Testament, they come to the temple to meet because that's where God resided. Now he resides in the people. So he desecrated uh, where they met to meet with God. And now what the enemy does is he comes in and he tries to destroy and desecrate the church. How does he do that? Well, by getting the church to not exist. So in some places, like in Pakistan and Iran, in some places like that, it's through persecution. Let's kill Christians. Man, let's kill Christians. Let's burn their churches. Let's try to take their churches out. We see that. But the strategy is still the same in America, but the ways he accomplishes it are different. It's not through persecution and burning churches in America. Man, it's just through simply just getting people to be lax in their commitment to church, to get comfortable 
and lax in their commitment and forget the sacrifice of Christ and think, man, I just added Jesus and he's just a part of my life and, man, it's a convenience thing. And that's one of the ways that he does it is to get us to be lax in our commitment. One of the ways he does it is through church splits and getting churches to argue and fight so that they forget the mission and getting churches to to, to argue and fight over stuff that they will claim is, man, I'm I'm doing this because, you know, I just want want us to honor the Lord when it's really you just want power. And that's why there's churches in the southern United States, at least. I mean, man, on every street corner, because this church split off, this church split off, this church split off of this church, right? This family got mad and split off of that church, and it's just, it, that's why there's churches across the street that split. It's just, it's just absolutely sickening. I, I've got a friend in, in Canada who is a pastor, and he had me to come up and preach in his church, one of the fastest growing churches, largest churches in Canada. And he had me come up and preach, and they typically don't allow people from the south, don't want people from the south to come up there and preach. They think, I don't know if he can you know, knows what he's talking about up here. They, they heard me preach and think, I believe this old Appalachian boy can handle it up here. So I took a little Appalachian North, went up and preached in his church in Canada. He came down and he did our youth camp and he, he said, I'm telling you what, man, I, I'm walking, I, I'm driving around here and that, you, I, I can throw a rock in any direction, I'll bust a wind out of a church. I said, that's right. He said, whoo, praise the Lord, I'm in Canada. There ain't no way I'd wanna be here. He said, man, I got people, no, they don't know Jesus. You got people that are absolutely deceived into thinking they are. I'd rather have the people that don't know Jesus. Because you got all these churches that are sitting down here, and I noticed, man, they're depleted, half of them's empty, and you got people in there thinking they're good because we got church right here. I said, bingo, you're right. I'd rather be where you are too sometimes. It's much easier, right? Because now I gotta convince everybody they're not saved before I can help them to understand how to get saved, right? And so that's what, that's what he does. The strategy's still the same. Man, let's destroy the church, Let's, com- let's ruin their commitment to church, their commitment to giving, their commitment to serving. Let's make them lax in their commitment, right? The, 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 the strategy is still the same. Sometimes it's compromised, it's destroyed by compromising biblical truth. That's what the Antichrist, that's a mark of the Antichrist always is to distort biblical truth. That's why Paul come in and told, them to, told the elders in the churches to protect the church against the savage wolves who preach false doctrine. Do you think if they did it then, we're gonna do it now? Oh, sure. I mean, we see it all the time. You see, we see these, 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 these distortion of the truth when we see, you know, like love is love. It don't matter who you love. It's just about love. The Bible doesn't say anything about homosexuality. Yeah, if you can't read, I guess you think that. Or if you don't want to see it, you think that. I mean, here's, here's what I would say. Anybody that tells you that they think the Bible doesn't say anything about homosexuality, they've either never read the Bible or they are pure, I mean, I don't even know what to call it. It's, it's like, I can point out multiple places. Read the book of Romans, just chapter one, a few verses. I mean, I can point out multiple. Yes, it, it mentions it. But today people believe the Bible doesn't mention it. It doesn't, it's love is love. Our kids are being deceived. That's one way the enemy does this, right? It, it, false teaching, it permeates the church. God saves everyone. God's not going to send anyone to hell. A loving God wouldn't do that. A loving, that's, that's not what the Bible says. Yeah, God loves, but God's just. Forget, we, we forget the justice of God, right? I mean, so that's, that's second. Let me, let me move on. God gives his, here's the third application. God gives his word to warn his people. That's what he did to Daniel. He gave, God revealed to Daniel, this is what I'm gonna do. This is what's gonna happen. Tell the people so that they can what? Be bold, be ready for it, and be prepared. That's what he did. Well, he gave us his word too. What is it? It's called the Bible. 
We believe that the Bible is the inspired and errant word of God. It's absolute truth, good for all people, all places, all time, never goes out of date, never goes sour. It's good. That's what we believe here at LifePoint. So when the Bible says it, we just believe that, that it's right and we're going to do it. Amy and I, that's the one thing about Amy and I. Our marriage was not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but in 37 years, every year it got better. Every year it got better. Man, there, there, there's not a season, uh, there's not really even a season. There was not a period of three years where I'd say, man, it really, it really stunk there. My, maybe a month, and that was my fault, right? I mean, it got better every year. Why? Because we made a commitment early in our marriage that we are going to live by the word of God. We're going to do it. We're going to give. We didn't have, uh, 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 you know, whatever they call it, or a window to throw it out. We had nothing. We had nothing we got married. We were so young, we had nothing. But we decided, we made a commitment, we're gonna tithe. Why? Because God said to. We're gonna tithe uh, even though we don't have anything. And this little bit that we're gonna tithe, I mean, it was a little bit. It wasn't much, but it could have bought a hamburger. And we could have used a hamburger. I could have. But we made a commitment to tithe. Why? Because God said so. Man, God, I, can, I can't tell you the stories how God took care of our needs. and Man, how God has just honored, blessed that like he said he would. Man, we, Amy, listen, she's the most forgiving person. There were times, listen, I, I legit, she wasn't perfect, but I, I legit, man, it's hard for me to drag up a flaw. But, but here's what I can tell you. She was so forgiving, and I tested that a lot. I mean, man, I don't, I don't know. I know you're going to find this hard to believe about me, but man, I can get fiery sometimes. I can. I mean, man, I can get fiery sometimes and I can get passionate. You know, I like to call it passionate. Right? I can get fiery and passionate and man, I can, I can, I, I can. And man, when I would do that with Amy, and, I, and, and you know, I do it with Amy sometimes, I mean, I have a hard day, whatever you come on. And I do that with Amy. You know what Amy would do? I mean, Amy, boy, she, she, she never threw gas on the fire. I mean, she, ne- and she, 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 she would just sit, she'd just sit and listen. And I'd be telling her what for sometimes, boy. And she'd sit and listen. And you know what she'd do? I'm sorry, I was wrong. And I'd say, what are you doing? At that point, the Holy Spirit's like, she's not wrong, you are, you idiot. That's just, why? Because she made a commitment. I, gentle answer turns away wrath. That's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna forgive him because that's what I do. We're gonna live by God's word. God gave us his word to warn his people. And if you don't know the word of God, you're gonna collapse under the pressure that's coming your way. You're gonna collapse under the marriage pressure, under the financial pressure, under the, under the cultural pressure. You're gonna collapse if you don't know God's word. The greatest thing you can do today is put God's word into your brain because God gave his word to warn his people. He gave his word to warn his people. Now here, finally, last, worry less and work hard. Worry less and work hard. You know, today we have a lot of monsters that keep us awake, just like Daniel's dream. Man, we have a lot of monsters. And they do include, uh, man, they make us sick to our stomach. They do include the rise of evil dictators. They include stuff like Hamas bombing Israel and and Iran and and Iraq. And, and man, they include, uh, you know, evil within our own country. They include uh, stuff that we're just like, what is going on, you know, in our world? Today, I mean, uh, it includes economic collapse, and I mean, where's inflation going to stop? It includes health issues. It includes depression. It includes marriage, empty nest, all these monsters that can keep us awake at night like Daniel and make us sit to our stomach. But whatever the monster in your nightmare, here's what you need to remember. It's no match for God. It's no match for God, folks. Nothing in our world is out of God's control and nothing in our world is a match for God. 
That's what we need to remember. See, that's what Daniel did. And look, I love this. I love it what he says. It says that Daniel, and when he had this, he lay sick for days. But then, what did, if you read to the end of the chapter, here's what it says. He got up and he went about the king's business. Love that. You know what it said? Man, I was sick about it, but I didn't isolate myself. I didn't for, build a fortress around myself. I got up, and here's what God said. God said, go into the world. I'm going into the world. He said to seek the welfare of the city. I'm gonna seek the welfare of the city. I'm gonna go about the king's business. I'm gonna live my life in this world for the glory of God. I'm not gonna let things sidetrack me, knock me off course. Man, I'm not gonna fortress myself. I'm not gonna isolate myself. I'm not gonna sit around pie kraut and, uh, pie and kraut, crying pout. <laughs> I'm not gonna, or, or, or pine kraut either. I don't know. I'm not gonna do any of those things. I'm, not, I, I'm, going, I'm going to get back to work. That's what he did. He got back to work. Church, we can't isolate ourselves. We can't fortress ourselves. We've got to go into the world and make disciples of all nations. Jesus gave that. It's good for all people, all places, all time, including today. And he knew exactly what was going to be happening today. And that doesn't give us an opportunity to sidetrack ourselves. He told us to go and make disciples. Then we need to go. He told us, he told God's people to seek the welfare of the city. That's what we need to do. To lead our families, that's what we need to do. To be committed to his church, that's what we need to do. To stand for our convictions, that's what we need to do. That's what we need to do. So there's many applications. I could talk about more, but, but I'm a little bit over my time, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop. And uh, we're going to pray. Travis is going to come, and you're going to respond. You respond however God says you respond. If you don't know Jesus and you're watching online, all you got to do is connect, text the word connect. Or no, text the word Jesus to the number on the screen, 1-615-551-9800. Text the word Jesus anywhere in the world and we'll, be, we'll, we'll, we'll get in touch with you, help you know what to do. In the room, you can come and see us. If you're a believer, man, today, maybe there's God, the Holy Spirit reveals something you need to confess, but maybe, maybe today, you just need to say, man, I just need to get busy. I need to, I need to quit fretting and remain faithful. And you need to pray about that. So I'm gonna pray, Travis is gonna come, he's gonna lead us and, and you respond how God has led you to respond. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for Daniel, the book of Daniel. God, thank you that it is applicable to today, 100%. Thank you that God, as, as you revealed to Daniel what was gonna happen and it came true just as you said it would, Father, today, everything you say in your word is true and it's going to happen. And I pray that you would open people's eyes today to see who you are, to surrender their hearts to you that don't know you. I pray that those who do, that you would literally today help them to be committed to you and to your glory, to walk with their head held high, to not fret, but to remain faithful. And God, we love you and we praise you. Thank you for what you're doing in this world that we can't see. Help us to know evil, the wicked will not win and help us to remain faithful in, in, in the day in which we live. In Jesus' name, amen.